0: From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 755, GitHub and DevOps in 2020, with guest Nicole Forsgren. Recorded Monday, November 23rd, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brett, and this is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Uh, if you, we're recording this in late November, but you'll be listening to this in late December, so here comes the new year. Hope your Christmas was awesome. Bringing back one of my favorites today, Nicole Forsgren whose bio is going to have changed for sure, but we know her as a research and strategy expert who shows leaders how technology can drive value and how to design that change in organizations. She's best known for the state of DevOps reports, and she does advice and research into technology metrics, knowledge management, and is now at GitHub, having previously been at Google by way of the DORA getting acquired, and once upon a time, she was a professor. She is someone with an actual PhD in our, in our industry. Like, here's our consummate professional, Nicole Forsgren.
1: Wow. Well, that was an introduction. You
0: like that? I made that up on the fly.
1: What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you left out, you left out the stuff before. I'm so offended. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, like, I, I was, didn't... I was in mainframes. you
0: done all those I was things. a
1: programmer. No, that's 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 old stuff.
0: You mostly seem to be on Twitter these days, though.
1: I know. <laughs> my yes, <laughs> my snark posting. Oh yes,
0: is, no, it's so I, good. I, I, always, I get
1: nervous when I just I'm hiring a couple people right now, and mm-hmm. like you get through a first round interview and it's fine, and then they come back for the wrap up and they're like, "I found you on Twitter," and I was like, "Oh no, oh
0: no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I've had I had have it. to go check and say, "What did I just tweet? This is this is bad."
0: I had a, a fellow that I I had been asked to do some hiring for a company in in the technology space, actually in IT. And the person that we were we were considering hiring had Googled me, saw deep how deep my ties were with Microsoft, and and literally opened the interview, railing against at me about data just wants to be free. And of course, this is in the bad old days, right in the in the early two thousands. And you know, literally ranted for for five minutes at me and then realized that like, he's ranting at his interviewer. <laughs> and, and, and when he well, that's when, fun. Yeah, when he wound down, I looked at him and go, so you done? He goes, uh, yeah, I figured he wasn't going to get the job. And he, by the way, he did get the job. And I, what I said to him was, <laughs> he was like 23, right? Just a kid. I was like, listen, I'm going to wait till you're 35, married, mortgage, two kids. You'll kick your own ass. <laughs> right,
1: right. Seriously. <laughs> and then we
0: talked about the work. Hey, I've got to read this comment uh, we got from your show we did back in 2019, early 2019, you know, back in the world, uh, about the state of DevOps. So this was just after you'd come to Google. And uh, and Aaron wrote this great comment. We were talking uh, talking about, last week, my coworker, well, actually, my boss, recommended this book he'd been given in his role as Dev Lead called Accelerate, Building and Scaling High Performance Technology Organizations. It sounded relevant and timely. We've been getting pushback on some of our approaches to DevOps because it's different to the established norms. You know that one well. I downloaded the audiobook, and with a couple of minutes, I was thinking, I've heard of this before. And then I went and listened to that episode of Run As back in 2019. I should m- point out, Aaron actually wrote this comment uh, in the summer this year. So, you know, a year and a half after the, the episode came out. The book was a more than a great read, although he was listening to it, and I got through it in one evening, one evening, while parenting my two fo- uh, under fours. To be honest, we're already doing most of what I heard, and I can say it's why we're recognized across the group as a high-performing team. The section on CICD probably spoke the most to me. and My favorite quote was, you can act your way to a new culture, which I've seen firsthand. We're not all the way there yet, and downsizing our pull requests is one of the areas we're working on improvement. I didn't read the book to to find validation, but to learn something or to be inspired to try a new approach, I can happily say there were a couple more champions for the cause in our company. The section at the end about how research was gathered and how assumptions were tested against the data is also very helpful. So thank you to Nicole, Jez, and Jean.
1: What a nice quote. Thank you for sharing.
0: Isn't it just? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I wanted you to know that. And I'm also, you know, for me as a podcast creator, it's like, here's a show we made in April of 2019. I think we shot it maybe the month before. You had just gotten the survey out and you know, sort of our routine back in that old days, whereas when you were ready to do a, a, a new report, we'd hop on and talk about it. And then I, more than a year later, I get to listen to the show and, and writes up just to let us know. He'd heard it and it moved him and it was and tied in with the book. That's great. Yeah, great story. What is your, I mean, you're now at GitHub. So, what is your working relationship? You see Jez, Jez is still at Google. Jean is still Jean.
1: Jean is Jean. Jean <laughs> is with IT Rev. Right. Jez is at Google. Jez, uh, we still chat on occasion. Mm-hmm. He is actually doing an SRE rotation now.
0: Oh, wow. He's,
1: he's back in the weeds and loving it. Sue, uh, Sue Choi was with us at Dora. She's still at Google mm-hmm. and like... Still kicking butt and taking names, loving it. Yeah. Um, I'm at GitHub now, um, VP Research and Strategy. Uh, Dustin Smith, he joined us on Dora. He's
0: yep. still
1: at Google, also kicking butt, taking
0: names. So does Dora still so, exist at Google then? Like I'm, I just feel yes, like it was so, always you, and it's kind of scary to have you not there.
1: Um. So actually, if it's okay, can I can I take like a little? Can I take us back on a history trip?
0: Yeah, please.
1: Okay, so as we think about um, the state of DevOps reports, they were originally started in 2012 by the Puppet team, um, and Alana, Alana Brown started these. Right, and I think you know she does not get nearly enough credit for really seeing an emerging trend, and not just seeing an emerging trend, but but wanting to put data to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, like, shout out to Alana and her team. Um, and then in tw- end of 2013, I think I want to say there was a chance encounter at the Lisa conference, the Usenix Lisa conference. And God bless her, right? We we started chatting. I was researching at the time. I had been researching um, DevOps related topics in academia since 2007. Right. So we bumped into each other. She totally invited me on this project. Instead of saying, like, this is my project, she she was amazing and just invited me on in. Uh, so she had already been partnering with uh, Jean and Jez. And suddenly, this completely random academic, I remember hilariously being on the phone and telling Uh, Gene and Jez over and over like um, no 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 that's that's not how you measure things (laughs) or like that's not actually a hypothesis or that is not what you that's not something you can test you're trying to test from A to C and you have to test from A to B to C right right and and like insisting something over and over and over again and then finally like racing through and, and remeasuring and testing and adding organizational performance. And it was wonderful. And so that's kind of started our relationship starting with 2014, mm-hmm.
0: the 2014
1: state of DevOps report.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I'll throw up the link because all of the DevOps reports going all the way back to the, the, those puppet ones are there.
1: Yep. Yep. They're great. And so we worked together from 2014 to 2017. I don't want to say Dora formally, like started being a thing. I want to say probably 2016, maybe, but like yeah. the what we know is Dora is like me, Jane, and Jazz uh, was probably starting in 2014, and then in 2018, uh, Dora broke off to kind of do our own thing, and then Puppet continued doing their own report in 2018, mm-hmm. 2019, and 2020. Dora did our own report uh, in 2018, 2019, um, and now. Dora, back to your original question, um, Dora still continues. Um, Dora was acquired by Google. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for this year's efforts, they um, have, have continued to do their own work. They have put out a quick check. They have released um, some capabilities deep dives. Um, that effort is led by Dustin Smith, who joined us in uh, for the 2020 report. Mm-hmm. Um, Jez is still advising that work, um, and so they, are, so they they still are are part of Google right now
0: and still doing the thing.
1: Yeah, still doing the thing.
0: What pulled you to GitHub?
1: Um, honestly, as I as I look back through the last. Oh my gosh, as I I'm going to say this, for over a decade of of experience and work, mm-hmm. it was it was just a new related opportunity that was just too compelling, oh, yeah. right? And Too interesting. As I look back at at my early academic career, I started my PhD in 04 um, and finished it in, you know, 0708 and I was looking at the types of things that made um, Actually, IT operations folks. Back then, we called them sysadmins. Right, right. Um, effective and productive and happy at the individual and team level primarily, and then for my postdoc, it was at the individual, team, and organizational level, which is interesting because now we're like, oh wait, that's kind of DevOps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the types of things that like made us want to use systems. So it was. Back then, it was information characteristics, system characteristics, and people are like, "What?" It's like, "What makes your tools useful?" Right? What do we want to put on a screen? How do I want to use a tool and then tell other people that this tool is helpful and useful? Right? Is it that like it relays information back to me? Is it that it's super easy to use? Like, why? Why? How do I make tools and technologies super useful and helpful to me so that I can have better uh so that they so that i have better outcomes yeah. basically right yeah um and then i realized that that i kind of needed to have a slightly different approach and really roll it up at the team level because software was really kind of a team sport and so that's how i kind of transitioned into this more devops type of work um and so that's what i did for kind of the next decade right mm-hmm. so i was at i was with dora i was at google for a while and then uh, a couple of friends at GitHub reached out and they said, would you be interested in working with us? And I was like, nah, I'm god. I've got a bunch <laughs> of like really interesting work happening. And they said, no, but, but what if you did, right? Like, what would that look like? And I realized that this might be like a perfect, interesting opportunity to take a slight pivot back to what I had started on. Mm-hmm. And it was still looking at, The types of questions that were supremely interesting to me, which is, how do we make people's work better? How do we make people's lives better? How do we help improve developer work? And when I say developer, I mean anyone who uses technology to create things, right? Because sure. when I started, it was sysadmins and it was it was anyone using technology, right? Whether it's a bash script or anything, right? Yeah. I'd say make our lives better. I mean, like if I can automate something that is manual, that makes my life a little better because I'm not baking my head on a wall.
0: But it's interesting and, that, I mean, GitHub is becoming this nexus, not just developers, but it's an ongoing conversation on this show too about those bash scripts that I used to write and carry around in a USB key or heaven forbid on a three and a half inch floppy, I'm now expecting my team to use them too. So, they kind of need source control. And even yeah. and, and you write yeah. them differently that way. Like, I, I don't consider myself in the IT role as a programmer and yet i clearly writing code that other people need to use.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And And I had started my career – on mainframes and doing bash scripts and analyzing log files. Mm -hmm. And because it was so difficult to find enough of that data to be making meaningful, to to come to meaningful conclusions, I ended up kind of pivoting into surveys some more. Right. Well now again, coming back, I don't want to say full circle, but like now we have like more data and more telemetry and, and we're building systems differently. And so GitHub kind of allows me to, to understand and analyze more data at the system level. Sure. And so it was like, okay, well, if I if I want to, to pivot back into system data and telemetry data, where would I go to do that? If hypothetically there was this opportunity, where would I go? Well, get, <laughs> GitHub is really a wonderful place and opportunity to do that if I think about it.
0: Well, yeah. It so be- it
1: was kind of that perfect... Pivot if I wanted to think about doing things like that, and and I felt like it was also a really great time, right? I had investigated and researched a bunch of things with Dora. If I were to do a handoff, Jez was there advising. Uh, Dr. Dustin Smith is a is a fantastic person to kind of continue to head that project. Mm-hmm. GitHub was a wonderful opportunity. The teams leading the project were good. Um, I would have you know a a great handle on a project so i i kind of just took the leap it's it's one of those things where like once you get an opportunity like how how do you say no
0: yeah no kidding and it, i've always known you as this data driven person this is a tremendous piece of data
1: yeah i'm just i'm swimming in it i'm all pruny <laughs> <laughs>
0: But just so much to explore, like, you know, you've, you've hit a mother load that I think we could really use your ability to extract understanding from it too. Like it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming.
1: And, and I have to say, I've also been like really, really grateful to the, to, to some of the leadership team because it's been the combination of having this incredible, incredible data set that you can explore and the leadership team who's empowered me to say okay if you wanted to do this what would that look like right because it hasn't just been access to the data it's been to be frank you know having a position that empowers you to say okay now that you are vp of research and strategy what do you want to do with this what does a new research program look like mm-hmm. and so you know if you look at this new octoverse report it is in a slightly different direction that people who have historically been familiar with the Octaverse report, in in some ways they'll be familiar with it, right? We still have a site that kind of walks you through statistics mm-hmm. and charts. And if you just scan the site, pieces of it will look familiar. So it's not totally different, but it also includes three deep dives. So you can read a detailed report if you really want to dive into the data and to their credit, a couple of people, you know, a handful of people at GitHub were probably nervous and being like, what is she doing? This is totally different. <laughs> but but when you have this data, you have this opportunity. And I felt like we had this opportunity and now almost responsibility to share it back with our community.
0: Absolutely. Right? Because
1: that's, that's what I want to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. Nicole, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open-source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects, called Two Weeks Ready, helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S.-registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Nicole Forsgren. And we're now at the point of talking about the state of the Octoverse. Because this is, I mean, I think back about those originally puppet reports, the state of DevOps. You were kind of involved in that all the way along. But the state of the Octoverse report has gone on for years and now you're going to have an impact on it. And I, it almost feels like, Oh, yeah, you're the, you're the deep data analyzer. I can't wait to see what you find. Cause the state of the Octoverse has always been a great sort of, you know, this is where we learned about Microsoft getting seriously involved in GitHub and just this incredible growth in enterprise class development in GitHub. It's not, you know, not just for the, the, the small open source projects anymore. It was a huge diversity of software what are your three, these three reports you talk about? What are the three deep dives?
1: Right. So we've got a few. Um, And before I really kind of dive into what those reports are, I really need to give a shout out to our data scientists because as, as we've mentioned, right. um, There is so much data here, right. (laughs) We have an incredible amount of data. And so I really relied on and leaned on our amazing data science team to kind of help guide us through, um, what this analysis would be we partnered pretty closely on um and i kind of led what the research questions would be and then let our data science team kind of guide what the analysis would look like and so shout out to uh derek Jedamski, who who kind of led the analysis greg Ketcherelli, scott kelly claire sullivan and then also um some of our security researchers who uh Partnered very closely with them on. So now we know there's a security report. Uh, Great Baker, uh, Boss, uh, a bunch of the security team. So there is a security deep dive, which kind of looks at um, some of the work that we have happening um, in security in terms of like surface area, um, what we see in terms of reliance on open source software, security vulnerabilities, lifecycle of a security uh, vulnerability. Mm. I, that one is dope. I know yeah. we're going to talk about that one later. No kidding. Um, we also take a look at things like um, productivity or you know, productivity broadly defined, right? Let's say in terms of like activity, what did we see in terms of activity patterns broadly over the last year? How did people act and interact on the platform, which is particularly interesting given the last 12 months that we've had.
0: Right. Yeah, no what kidding. I see? It, it, the, the fact that you could look at that, that view and say, What did people do? Like, I I gotta think that initial scramble in the spring the northern hemisphere springtime like at March, April, May probably was a with you know, folks figuring out how to work from home. That's not the most productive time. The question is, did they recover? I mean, not the story arc we've done in the in this pandemic series on run as has been exactly that that there was a scramble then we got to work and it's like are we doing the right things how do you measure that and then seeing really i, I think certain levels of burnout like we almost work too hard and whether those were the right things to do or are we making enough difference and how do we take care of ourselves you know when all your meetings are online you can make them 100 percent back to back you just burn yourself out
1: it's really interesting and you know i also took a a lot of responsibility to kind of doing this analysis and writing the report mm-hmm. because if you're not careful about reading nuance into it and looking at other research, other qualitative research that's also coming out, you could read the data and just say, "Oh, people are super productive," or "Oh, these are the things that are happening, everything's fine." Right. Because you know, we've seen other reports come out saying, "Oh, for example, Meeting minutes are up. People are more productive. Everything's fine in the world. When it's like, (laughs) no, people are burning out. This is a pandemic. Things are hard, right? And so we've we've been very careful, and the team has been wonderful to work with me to make sure that we present the data with a lot of context and a lot of nuance. And I was able to partner with many of my peers at Microsoft Research. I had access to over 40 other research projects to really provide context and detail and nuance to kind of round out that story, which I think was very important. But also to your point, I have access and visibility into data that basically doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. We have a really interesting view into what's happening.
0: Yeah, and how people are actually doing work, at least on, I hate to loathe to say this, just on the code side, because people put recipes into GitHub. I think that's an interesting analysis all by itself. It's not just about programmatic code, but people check all sorts of things into GitHub.
1: Yeah, everything. And mm-hmm. to that point, finally, uh, the last kind of report we have is broadly around community and collaboration. Mm. What broadly, what types of uh, users do we see? And so for this last piece, we even went back five years and seven years. What types of users do we see? What types of patterns do we see in users? How do newcomers interact on the platform differently than veterans? Sure. How do we see the community merging and changing and growing over time? How do we see differences in file types, right? Do we mm-hmm. see people using the, the platform differently in terms of code versus non-code?
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly the, the data professional is spending more time there. And a new array of tools that are available there and in the end, it's still code that needs to be cared for, certainly versioned like we have all those capabilities.
1: yeah uh, yep, exactly. Uh, so it was really interesting and I think it offers kind of insights and ideas and and kind of, shares with people the opportunities that are available on github and and every report has a section so if you if you don't want to read if you don't have time to read <laughs> you can check out the first couple of pages for the executive summary, the key findings and some suggestions that anyone can do to take action for what does this mean for you right? What, what can you do? Because I also know that like we have limited time, especially now. So so what does this mean for you and your teams, whether you're an open source, you're a contributor and a maintainer, or you're an enterprise? Because some of these patterns will apply across contexts, mm-hmm. right? Are you an enterprise? Are you in small to medium business? So we've really tried to make sure that this is applicable and useful to almost anyone.
0: Yeah, it does seem to be the message then is that this year has been a diversity year for the octaverse, that, that it's not all developers. It's a bunch of other kinds of folks that are living here now too, yep. including the average IT pro.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know what? Especially the IT pro, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I mentioned, I, I started my career programming systems, but also running my own systems and my research career started studying sysadmins, right? Mm-hmm. And so, remembering and understanding that, you know, of all the code that gets created, so much of it really is IT pros running our own systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. b- building automations and creating the workflows for these different things. So yeah, it makes a, a lot of sense that we would see that there. We don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that GitHub is top of mind for the average IT pro, but it's interesting to see from your view of the data that, that they're there and they can, they can help us. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, just quickly over top of the security side, how does the workflow through GitHub impact security? Is it just like we fix things faster when we have automation through code deployments?
1: So we've got some really interesting things that come out here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and one that I I think I'll tease here that's particularly interesting is we ran an analysis on the life cycle of open source dependency vulnerabilities. Hmm. And this this kind of runs through a few steps. So what we see is that um, it takes just about four, it just takes over four years to identify a vulnerability. It takes about four and a half weeks for the community to identify and release a fix after a vulnerability has been identified.
0: That's not bad.
1: It takes about 10 weeks to alert the community on the availability of a security update. Now, that's because it needs to go through the various channels to get through, Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, into the advisory database and everything. And then it takes about a week to apply the security update. Now, here's one thing that we also noticed. It's that repositories that automatically generated a pull request to update a fix patched their software 1.4 times faster Hmm. than those that didn't.
0: Right. And this is something built into GitHub, right? You get these messages when you have repositories there that say, hey, this library's got a fix for this vulnerability. And and they pretty much just build out, they just accept this and you're in.
1: Yeah. So the data for this analysis was based on repositories that used uh, Dependabot pull requests.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's interesting for me as an InfoSec guy to think Mm -hmm. in terms of if we are working through GitHub, it's not that difficult for me to say, hey, I want that Dependabot stuff running.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, just because it shortens up the cycle time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and I will mention that we also have, you know, when I talk about that 10 weeks that it takes to alert the community, that's that's median, right? That's a typical time to alert. For alerts that go through the GitHub advisory database, that's much shorter, mm-hmm. right? Some people uh, submit uh Submit findings directly to the GitHub Advisory Database. That's very, very fast. We also spend a lot of time um, compiling and and finding advisories through many, many other sources. That's kind of where that other delay comes from. Is because we're we're finding and curating reports from many, many other places. And so, so some some alerts go out much, much faster, like one week.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I was also depend on the code base too. The four yep, years exactly. kills me. I presume that's four years from the time that, that that code got written that had a vulnerability in it and went out into the world into a time.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's interesting. We had not seen uh we were not aware of many other analyses like that. And mm-hmm. it's because when a vulnerability is released, it's it's just unknown. Yeah. Right. Um and we actually did an analysis that shows that the majority of vulnerabilities are mistakes, yeah. right? Only 17% are malicious. And of those, 0.2%, only 0.2% show up as alerts, right? That that hit highly used repositories, right? So 83% of them are just mistakes.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's not that using open source components put you at risk, right? Anyone can do it. Anyone can can put a mistake into your code base. Anyone can. Sure. Um, and so we were like, four years, that's a lot. But mm-hmm. but what we had actually found is that the the other place that had done an analysis sort of similar to this um, did an analysis on on O days, right? Uh, and it was RAND. And they actually found that it takes five years to find an O-Day. So it's not an apples to apples, kind of an apples to oranges just comparison. Right. But but it's it's not uncommon, that, right? So that's, that's not out of the realm of possibility that it takes that long to find a vulnerability.
0: Yeah, I guess the question is...
1: It, it just takes a while.
0: Yeah. Is it exploited or not? Like, um, a lot of fixes I've seen that no one have any exploits in the wild. It's just... It, it, it's interesting to think about what happens in that four years that then it gets found. Like... If it wasn't found immediately, why is it ever found?
1: Um, I I think it's that, you know, you really have a a group looking for it, Mm -hmm. right? And so so some of the best, you know, one of the recommendations we have is that we really need to be remediating our security vulnerabilities quickly, and we need to be keeping our code base current.
0: Absolutely. I'm also just thinking about how many of these vulnerabilities can we, recognizing they're mostly mistakes, how many can we catch earlier in the cycle? Right. You know, that this is, this to me speaks more of a, a weakness in testing, like that those problems should not have made it way out the door because it takes so long for them to be found in repair.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, we, I think we've fallen into a culture for better or worse because of the, almost free deployment or, you know, sauce operating models and so forth. That we kind of just put the app up and let people use it and fix it later. And and these are the kind of signs that say to me, hey, you know, there's a price that we pay for that. And one of them is that, the, that there's these vulnerabilities that propagate because we are rushing and because we're less worried about you know, fixing after fact because the cost of fixes are relatively low. You know, back when we had to burn DVDs and ship them, you, you were much keener to make sure that DVD was as correct as it could be. Now that everything's simply downloaded and you can push a fix easily in minutes. And in fact, with the numbers you've just described, the cycle time is still pretty short from detection to repair to made available to those who need it. But no, no recognize that the detection time is so long. Like it just speaks to me of we got to do better testing before we put it in the field.
1: Yeah. Testing is very important for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is exciting. And I realize we've just skimmed the surface. Of three reports here yeah yeah <laughs> there's
1: so much there
0: yeah no kidding like there's a ton more to dig into here so obviously the answer is more shows <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds like you're having a good time and this is your first take at the at the github data like I can't see, wait to see what you find next
1: oh there's so much there there's so much there
0: yeah no, huge possibilities. Uh, Nicole, congratulations. Like what a great, fun place to be. And uh, in, and clearly in your element, studying a tremendous data set to see if we can understand how IT and dev can do more. Thank you. Just going to keep doing more of the same. What's next for you? Places folks should be looking.
1: Um, yep, more of the same. Early next year, I've got a paper coming out on how to think about productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, a few facets of it, which I know a few people are cringing, but... I assure you it's it's actually something that will help us out. So keep keep an eye open I, for that.
0: I'm no no doubt at all. Yeah, for sure. Uh Naful Forsran, so great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.